Well, good morning. I'm excited to, to be here with you. If you don't know, my name is Matt Brumfield. I work with uh, the students here. Um, so I'm also known for those under 18 years old as Brummy. So if you ever hear of this Brummy, that's me that they're talking about. I've been here about seven years now, and it's, it's funny how over the course of seven years, your perspective changes. And I think this is, this is truth for a lot of us, is we, we come at everything with, with a, maybe a different perspective. For me, when I started, the, the way I was as an intern at, at Malone, then college, now university, living in the basement of, of Tom and Jane Maurer, to where I am now, years later, as, as I'm now figuring out my perspective has changed, as I'm a, a husband for here now for about two years, a, a father for the past nine months, my perspective really changed, and especially being in ministry, when I first started, I mean, I thought I was like the coolest thing ever. I thought I knew everything. And, and for a lot, you probably looked like even today I have right, these Converse on. Uh, I don't have a tie suit. I have little anchors on here. Sometimes we're flamingos and you're like, your perspective on me maybe hasn't changed in the past seven years. <laughs> and, and that's okay. But I want to share how, how my perspective, and I think for us, offer us this e eternal perspective as we dive into Ephesians. Because for me, as I began this course and I was like, this is really for me this call of following Jesus, but specifically to, to go into the, the ministry and student ministry and things began to change. I remember the, the first time it was kind of all rainbows and butterflies, things were really good, God had opened doors in the schools and it was great. And then I remember driving and I was driving on my way to one of the, the local schools and I got this call, and this is when my, my perspective began to change. I got this call, and it said, hey, Matt, you need to stop what you're doing, and you need to go to the hospital. Because one of, one of your, your students, one of your eighth-grade students, his, his dad suddenly passed away, and he's not going to make it. And I remember in that moment, my perspective began to change, because that was followed by I would go and I, I would help over at Glenwood. And I remember coming in one Monday and over the weekend, there was a fifth grader, 11 years old, that had taken his own life. And as I began to go on, there were these moments where perspective began to change because people would see me and I'd put on the smile and shoot Nerf guns and there was all this brokenness going on and really difficult stuff. And there was a season here where, to be honest, I, I didn't really want to keep going and I would go home at night and weep and wrestle with God and say, I... I can't do this. But you see what happened is God in those moments took my perspective and brought it back to him. And this morning, I think I want to challenge us to take this eternal perspective wherever we're at, whether you come in here and maybe right now things in your life have kind of been this rainbows and butterflies and all good. And maybe some in here, things are really, really difficult. And it's tough for you to get through the day and, and you come in here and put on this smile, but nobody really knows what's going on. In the midst of wherever we are, I'm going to challenge us, and I think Paul challenged us here to, to, to change our perspective, to focus it out of these things and onto the one that, that truly matters. And so if you would, pray with me. Father, as we gather here, and no matter what's going on with those who are gathered here, that for this moment I pray that we would take this, this step back and that we would focus our eyes on you. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, that your word would be proclaimed. God, that our hearts would be open, our ears would be open, and that we would respond to what your spirit is saying to us. God, that this morning you would get all the glory. 
We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or electronic device, if not, it's going to be up on the screen, but I encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to spend this morning our time in the first 10 verses here. And so as you're turning, as it comes up here, I'm going to go ahead and read for us. And so this is, this is Paul writing, and he begins, and it says, verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so this morning, as we dive in here, the first thing that, that Paul is getting at is this idea of this eternal perspective reminds us what we were. He begins here in verse 1, it says, and you. And so Paul right here is speaking to those who have experienced the transforming grace of Jesus Christ in their lives. And it's a reminder to, to those and to, to each of us that at one time, all of us were apart from Christ and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And this concept of dead, I think sometimes, maybe like, just to be clear, so I have this little dog, okay? If my dog, which loves squirrels, goes out and kills this squirrel and brings it, like the squirrel is dead. I'm not going to be able to do anything to bring the squirrel back. Dead is dead. You and I, spiritually, apart from Christ, we're dead. We are separated and alienated from God, completely and utterly unable to change that. We were dead. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Colossians 2 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. Colossians 1 says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. We were living corpses. We could do nothing to please God. This is fact. Paul is establishing that. This is the truth. Those who are unbelievers in this world, they aren't sick. They aren't good people who have lost their way. They're dead. Romans 3, 10 through 12 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good, not even one. And you see here, Paul kind of establishes in these next passages, it says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, okay, so the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not working, the sons of disobedience. He's speaking of, of Satan here, the great deceiver. And finally, it says, the passions of our flesh. So he begins, and he's speaking here about this reality of, of the world, that the world, if we look around us, is not 
as God intended it to be. We see for, from the beginning, and, and you see the world around us, it puts this pressure to conform to its attitudes. And these things are in direct disobedience to God. Working with students, I see this a lot. I see all over, like social media is huge, and it, it's like telling students to be a certain way. And so like this, or dress this, get this many rates, or rate this person. Or right, the, the culture that we live in, this whole idea of idolatry, and, and that the sports, you have to achieve this, and get this many trophies, or get this awards, get in this good school, and get this good job. And adults, it's a same for us is I need this good job so I can buy this house for my family and then retire and go to the beach. And it's this idea that these things, it says conform. This is where you're going to find your satisfaction. And in that is this deception from, from Satan. From the beginning in Genesis where God creates all things good. And he says this one thing, he says, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree or you will surely die. And so what happens is the serpent, he deceives and he twists the word of God and he says, no, that's not right. If you do that, you aren't going to die. And we see this in this world around us, the deception that we believe these lies and these things. And this last thing that Paul hints at, because maybe for some of us we're like, no, I'm not of this world. I haven't given in this deception. We think we, we somehow are above this. And this is where Paul speaks to the flesh that the reality is by nature, we are sinful, we are disobedient. My son, nine months old, no one has to teach my son how to be bad, how to do wrong things. By nature, he is sinful. This is truth. This is what Paul is establishing here. And we see this again, Galatians 5, it says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. Genesis 6, 5, going way back, it says, and the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, every intention continuously evil. The nature of man is to be sinful. They're not good, they're in darkness. It should not surprise us that a sinner, someone who is not in Christ, is of the sinful nature, disobedient to God, controlled by the world, deceived by Satan, and prone to the flesh, completely unable to change his or herself. And no law passed, no behavior modification, nothing apart from Christ and Christ alone can change them. An eternal perspective reminds us what we were and what some still are in the midst of this broken world. We should not be shocked, nor should we expect anything apart from Jesus to change someone. This world is not going to change by voting someone into the, into the White House, by passing some legislation, by, by withdrawing. We can't create safe bubbles around us and think, because I've gotten rid of these influences, they're going to be good. My kids are going to be good by nature. Each and every one of us are sinful, disobedient, in rebellion, children of wrath. And if we stop right there, it seems kind of hopeless. And it's bleak. And for some of us, we can get stuck in this. And for a lot, this is the reality of the world, is there's some that are so far into darkness, they, they know nothing else. You see, Paul doesn't stop there, and the reminder, the perspective doesn't stop there. Verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, an eternal perspective reminds us who God is. And these two words, but God, kind of lead us from this dark reality to, to this great hope. And Paul begins to communicate that all of this is all about him and has nothing to do with me. It is all about who he is and what he has done and the work he is continuing to do in my life. And maybe for some of us in this room, we really haven't even grasped who, who God is. Maybe you're here for the first time or maybe not and you've heard we sing and we talk about Jesus and we sing about Jesus, we, we proclaim him, but you have no idea. You have no idea who, who God is. And you see his word from, from the beginning, it's this revealing and sharing, this is who God is. He's a God that we see in the beginning, he's authoritative. He speaks and it comes into, into being. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God spoke all into existence. He's a God who is merciful. 1 Peter 1.3 says, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Deuteronomy 4.31, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. We see that he is a God that he is great. Jeremiah 10.6, There is none like you, O Lord. Nothing compares to him. You are great, and your name is great in might. Isaiah 40, 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. He's a God that is loving. 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has shown to us that we should be called children of God. Joel 2 says, return to me with all your heart, for he, God, is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He relents over disaster. Ezekiel 18, 23, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. We see Psalm 139, that, that God, he's life getter. It says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He is a restorer. Psalm 147 says, God heals the brokenhearted. He gathers the outcasts. He is great. He's abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And he is also holy. And what this means is that sinners in rebellious disobedience cannot stand before a holy God. In 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. You see, but it doesn't stop there because God is also Savior. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3, 16. I remember knowing this from when I was little, but I don't think I, and still to this day, have fully grasped the depth of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that none should perish, but all have eternal life. You see, an eternal perspective reminds us what he has done. And we see this here in this text this morning in verse 4. We see that God has loved us. God in and of himself, he is love. And in relation to you and I, sinners, this is displayed as his grace and mercy. The richness of God's love makes it possible for sinners, you and I, to be saved. We see then verse 5. That he didn't just love us, but he made us alive. 
Apart from Jesus, there is no life. 1 John 5, 11 says, And this is the testimony that God gave us, you and I, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And you see, not only did he, he make us alive, but when we see in verse 6, it says, He raised us up with him. We are raised up with Christ. While physically, right now, you and I are still here, our perspective changes because I recognize that the sufferings that we're going through here, that I know that, that, that I, I have a God who I can, I can talk to, I can come to, that, that deeply loves me, and then I see that, that I'm not going to be left here. That I look to this forward hope, we see verse 7, in the coming ages, right? One day we will be with him Forever. As I was studying and preparing, I was going through, and he writes, God's purpose in our redemption is not simply to rescue us from hell. As great a work as that is, his ultimate purpose in our salvation is that for all eternity, the church might glorify God's grace. It's this reminder that by grace, we've been saved. It's not about you. It's not about me. God gets all the credit. It's his unmerited favor. You and I did nothing to deserve this. Each of us fully deserve God's wrath for a rebellious, disobedient, sinful state. Whether we have recognized that or not. And for some, we have recognized it. And there's another reminder. Verse 9, so that none may boast. Never forget that apart from Christ, you and I were dead. And continue to cling to Christ daily lest we believe that we are something that we are not. That we have made ourselves something that we, in reality, have done nothing. It is completely and utterly upon God's work to save us. And his continued work to redeem us and make us new day by day. And we see here then an eternal perspective reminds us what he is doing and what he will do. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And last week, Pastor Ryan preached as we're going through a series on the miraculous of, of this man that Jesus cast a legion of demons out of and this idea of, of demon faith. Right? And we see even in James where James speaks and he says, you believe he is God, good, even the demons believe and shudder. And you see this, this true faith goes from just knowing to believing, and out of that belief, we act upon it in the everyday. If we are in Christ, we are a work of God, a continued work of God. He works through us. We do nothing of ourselves. Through faith and obedience, God, by his grace, would choose to use us in what he is doing right here, right now. Galatians 5 says, walk in the Spirit. And then he gives this list of things that if you're walking in the Spirit, your life will display these things. If you are in Christ, your life displays these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Matthew 28, 19, this command that Jesus gave is a command for all of us. Go, make disciples of all nations, all, everyone. 
teaching them to obey all I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Romans 10, 12 through 15 says, There is no distinction. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? This reality is that our inner affections, what we truly love, is displayed in our everyday outward actions, because we so love Jesus. Because I so love Jesus and recognize what he has done, that I am nothing, that he is everything, that he has changed me. And I say, Lord, please change me. He gets all the credit and all the glory. And so as we read this, as we, as we hear this truth, that we were dead and he made us alive, that we did not deserve this, that what you and I deserved, we did not get. Let us not sit idly by and say, thanks for saving me. No thanks for telling me how to live my life. This is God's word. This is truth. And so let me be so bold for a moment to, to speak to those in this room who would claim Christ, that you would say, I am in Christ. And maybe that means that at seven, you made a decision, or maybe it's like 20 years ago you made a decision, or maybe it's a month ago. So let me ask you this. How has Jesus changed you? How are you a different person now than you were 20 years ago? Man, if you can't say, this is who I was, and now Jesus is recreating me in his image day after day after day, then I would ask, who's this Jesus that you know? Because if I'm faithful and obedient, he will change me. You don't believe me? Nine months ago, my son was born. And I recognized in that moment that I was selfish, that I was angry, and I was impatient. Because I would sit there and he would cry. And there was this part of me that began to rise up. And I was like, I don't like this. It's 2 a.m. I only stay up till 2 a.m. if the calves are playing. Why don't you stop crying, baby? And then I recognized in that moment that the things, and then there was this other part of me, because as I got tired, man, I was like, well, what do I have to do to, and, and I realized there was this side of me that went where, where I was like, man, I could go into, into dark, dark places. And I recognized that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't change. And so I recognized I, what I wasn't doing is I wasn't abiding with him. And so I began to go and spend time in his word and prayer. And I said, Lord, change me. I need your spirit to do a work in me. And I can tell you that I'm not perfect, but there is a difference in who I am today than nine months ago. And you know, some people say, well, I'm just not, I'm just not a patient person. Like, listen, the spirit makes us, if we are faithful and obedient and spend time with him, God hasn't made some people patient, some people loving, some people kind, and others not. We were all dead. We are all prone to be not these things. But if we are in Christ, what we are saying is, God, do a work in me. That we surround ourselves with people that say, hey, you aren't being patient, and so spend time with him. The world says, you aren't a patient person. Christ says, walk in the spirit, abide in me, and then I will do something in you.
You know, we talk here about all of life, from the youngest baby to the oldest person sitting in this room. What does it look like to glorify God in all of life? And I think sometimes we can put on faces in here and we don't like people to really poke into all of life. Well, I'm going to poke into all of life. You know, let's poke into this idea of when Jesus says, love your enemies. And so for, right, humor me. So enemies, let's say your enemy is those who have ill intent for your life. There's a, a middle schooler, 12-year-old. He goes to Tusky Valley Middle School. And, and I had this story. I got to walk through this thing with him and his family. And, and this really pushed in and it challenged and convicted me. This student has an allergy to, to peanuts, to tree nuts, that something bad can really happen if he comes in contact, if he eats these. He has to carry a pen. He can go into shock, go to the hospital. It's bad. And so we could give the students, some of these students at his school, a shadow of a doubt, but, but they were, they had, regardless of their age, this semi-wicked intent. And they found out about this, and maybe not fully knowing, but they took a, a wrapper, and they didn't just put it in his bag, like they buried it. And so there was this idea that they didn't want him to know what they had done. And he, he reached in, and by the grace of God, nothing happens. But let me tell you what his response was. Is his response came out of this eternal perspective. His response recognized that I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And that Jesus has placed me at Tusky Valley Middle School to glorify him. That those who are in darkness at this middle school might come to know Christ and to know new life through me. And so he went and he continued to eat lunch. And he continued to invite them into the rhythms of his life. And see, as parents, we may push back and say, well, that's not right. This was wrong. Something needs to be done. And if we push into our comfort and security, do we love those things, our safety, more than we love Jesus? You see, if you look into the New Testament, you see throughout those who they love Jesus. Timothy, to the point, um, Right, they were thrown into jail. Paul was thrown into jail, and through that, God was glorified. The jailers came to know him. You see, throughout Stephen, right, in Acts, uh, he was right, taken out until the, the moment, the last stone, took his life here. He gave glory to God. Do you and I, do we love Jesus in all of life to the point that if he's calling us to that, would I be faithful and obedient? The things we post on social media. I think sometimes we forget that does this display this eternal perspective that we all were lost, unable to change, but Jesus, by his grace and love, has changed and redeemed us, made us new. You know, I read a post this week. There's this big thing, and, and I, we, by God's grace, we, we have the freedom to make right, our decisions in this country, and, and we should be able to take positions on different things. But there is a post that in this post, I'm not talking about a position on gender identity, I'm talking about what was said in this post where it used words for those who believe this or in this and called them morons and idiots. And in that moment, you did not communicate an eternal perspective. What you said to those who read it and now may look at you and think, I'm too far gone, I'm too far lost. 
Are we those that, that, is that what we believe? Do we forget what has been done, that we were dead, completely unable to change ourselves? You know, I sat with a student who knew the depths of this, knew what God had done for him, how much he loved him, that Jesus came to save, to renew him, to give him this new life. But yet, he lived in this fear, and he said, I don't like who I am, what I've done, and I don't even want to say it because I'm afraid if I tell you, you won't love me. And there may be those in this room that on some of these things where we think we have to have this loud statement. And in doing so, we forget that maybe what we're communicating is not the grace of God. And we should stand and we should have these, these positions, but not at the expense that those who are far would think they are too far gone for God's grace to save them. So as we conclude here, how are we going to respond? For some, maybe this is the first time you're here. Maybe in this moment, I hope what you've heard is that in the depth of our brokenness, that no matter what you have done, no matter what has happened to you, I mean, God, his, his, his love for you is immeasurable. And that he offers you this new life. It's a gift that is free that you can take it. That he can change you. He is a God who is healer, who is comforter. For some, maybe we just need to remember that because we accept it, but, but we feel like, I don't know how we can keep going because things are just difficult. And maybe our perspective needs to be that one day there's going to be no more hurting, no more pain, no more sickness. And so keep running until that day comes. Maybe for some in here this morning, our posture needs to be repentant hearts because we have made this all about us and not about him. That we care more about the knowledge that we have amassed, the talent we think we bring, the comfort and security of our homes, of our ABFs, of our missional communities, of our little groups where we know everyone and we like everything the way it is. And maybe what we need to do is say, God, I'm sorry for making this all about me and not about you. And maybe for some of us, We've just kind of been idling. And we sit here week after week after week and we hear stuff, but it does nothing in the rest of our life. That we don't take the posture of a servant. We don't take the posture of a learner. We don't take the posture of a missionary. We don't love those around us. And so as the band comes back up, I'm going to challenge us, myself included, that we actively respond to whatever God is saying. That for some, that if, if you have something going on, that maybe this morning the spirit is tugging in and you want to respond for the first time. That maybe for others, you just need prayer because things are really, really difficult. That you come down front and there's going to be pastors and elders here that would love to pray with you. That for others, then maybe you need to stop just sitting week after week and feeding yourselves, and you need to do something with that. You need to walk in him. I mean, a, a great way is to take some steps is fill out a card and start a conversation. The pastors, the staff would love to help you figure out what is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? 
And as we sing, that we just reflect on these words. That Jesus will be the one that gets all our affection, all our attention, that he is our one desire. Not our jobs, not our families, not our comfort, not our security, not our children, not our husbands, not our wives, but Jesus. That he is the one thing above all that we love, that we cherish, that we cling to. And whatever he's asking us to do, we respond in faith and obedience, not because we are anything special, but because at the depth of our brokenness, when we are completely and utterly unable to change ourselves, he did an indescribable work in us. And he's continually calling us to walk in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, for what you have done. Lord, for the amazing gift that you have given us of, of your son. God, that when we were dead, you made us alive. God, that you have once again made a way so that we could be in right relationship with you. And I pray now that we would not just sit here, but that we would walk in you, that we would honor you when we're at school, when we're at our work, when we're eating, when we're playing, wherever we are. God, that you would be glorified in us and through us, that, that we here, as this local represent, representation of your body, would be known for giving you glory, for serving you with all that we are. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.